2: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
3: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.
4: It's a film study first, I believe. I think this is the first time we've done a part two of the same exact subject because we can't get it all into one episode. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's
5: good, Josh. How about you?
4: I'm all good. Michael, welcome back. You ready to talk some more, Lamar? I am. Thank you, guys, for having me back again. And that probably says more,
1: the fact that you had to have a part two probably says more about your guests than anything else
5: (laughs) it's if if you mean by that that our guest is a fountain of true wisdom on football (laughs) we agree and we we love talking to you michael it's uh uh you know you're one of my favorites and 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 to go through this in in great detail is i think exactly what the audience would would appreciate too in terms of uh, uh really savoring the details of this mvp season
4: right and you need this because not only is it the story of the year it's hopefully the story of multiple years here in baltimore
5: yeah. For the first time the Ravens had the hot young quarterback in the league. It's really been since Burt Jones in the 1970s that that's been true and never with the Ravens before. Uh, this is a very special time.
1: It really is. I mean, it's 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 an unprecedented time, really. Right. I mean, like you said, if you if you if you go back to being, you know, an original Colts fan. But if you're uh, somebody who's only been a Ravens fan, you really haven't had this. I mean, obviously you had. Some good years with Flacco. He had a Super Bowl year and he had an incredible run uh, during that playoff stretch. But, you know, an offense that led the league in so many categories and a unanimous MVP uh, really is kind of unprecedented uh, here for for the Ravens. Uh, we just haven't seen this on the offensive side of the ball.
5: Well, nobody in the NFL has, honestly. This is, This is an extreme offense in so many ways, particularly with their ability to run the football. John Harbaugh called it Revolution Baltimore. That's uh, you know a fair description of it. It's a complete rethinking of how to play offensive football.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of poo-pooed a lot of that in the offseason when he was being asked, and he said, oh, you know we're going to revolutionize. You know. I was thinking, well, come on, man. This is football. It's been around for a long time. We're not going to see anything nobody's ever seen before. And he kind of cleaned that up. He did kind of walk it back at some point. So well, I'm not saying we're going to do anything that's never been done we're maybe going to combine some existing things and concepts in some unique ways, right? And uh, I think that probably was an understatement. Uh, an understatement, and it turns out he was pretty prophetic.
5: <laughs> yeah, you and I talked about this. So we're going to get into the passing game with Lamar tonight, but but I want to talk a little bit about what Greg Roman laid out as a kind of a roadmap for the for the year before it even started. He said, you know. And this is something we talked about last year, is the need to progressively outthink your opponent and, and layer on complexity to your offense when you rely so heavily on the run itself. Okay. So you're 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 uh, you're relying on that. Josh, are we okay from a recording standpoint? I'm just asking you here. We sometimes have a technical issue. Fantastic. No, we're,
4: we're all good. I clicked on we we record in three locations when we record. And I clicked the third one late, so that's why you saw something pop up there. All right, fantastic.
5: Okay, thanks. I appreciate this technical efforts. We could not do this show without Josh, and I I, uh, will occasionally have a break in like that to ask a question. But, but Roman, anyway, before the year started, uh, you know, we had the questions about about layering it in, and could you continue to fool the the opponents for another full season? by doing incremental things when there's a limit to the number of incremental things. And Roman addressed it in, in his interview that I'm going to try and paraphrase. He said, there's enough new stuff. There's enough of the old stuff that we didn't do. And there's enough stuff nobody's ever seen that we can still keep fooling them for another year at least.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that was Born out when you watch them play, whether you just saw the TV broadcast or saw the games live or or watch the coaches film like I I tend to do. And the, the interesting thing about that is you could see it. Right. You could see kind of their core things that they would do every game, right? They, you know, particularly in the run game. Roman's kind of known as a gap scheme kind of guy, a lot of power, counter, that kind of thing. He'll mix in some zone too. So you saw the core runs, but then you would see little wrinkles of of something you hadn't seen in say the week prior, right? Each time. And it might only have been one play. You might be like, hey, wait a minute. I hadn't seen that before. And I think a lot of what you see in successful NFL offenses. You know, run game or pass game, but maybe particularly in the run game is um, complexity that is really simplistic. Right? It looks like there's a lot of different things happening, but it's the same concept. People talk about that with Kyle Shanahan's run game all the time, right? Which is is pretty much that old, you know, his his dad and and Gary Kubiak that wide zone, inside zone running game. But they dress it up, different formations, move people around with shifts and motion, and and the Ravens. I don't know if they were second in the league. I know I I thought I saw something that said that the 49ers used the most uh, shifts in motion in the league. I don't know if the Ravens were second or third or where they were exactly. But I would imagine they were pretty high on the list because I think anybody who watched them during this season, it was a regular part of their offense. Somebody in motion, somebody shifting. And that can make it look like you're doing something different when really you're not but it just presents a different picture to the defense.
5: Well, this, I think we'll agree. There's two things you can really use motion for that are the primary things. One is to to get a man in motion, to either get him off the line of scrimmage or get him into a block quickly uh, at the line of scrimmage. That's that's the that's one of the big ones. They use that with slot receivers a lot. They also use it with uh, tight ends in Baltimore going in motion to try wow. and get part of a double team on the inside or the outside of the line. Either of those is probably, but. Either of those is possible. As number one, number two is you use often wide receiver motion can be tight end motion to try and read the defense in terms of what kind of coverage they're going to play, and and so it, it, I think the Ravens use some of that, but more than most teams, they tend to did it do it for blocking purposes as opposed to trying to read how the pass coverage will be, and that would be true naturally because they run the ball more than they pass.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that they do uh, with it and. You probably obviously you notice this you watch the games a bunch you know each game a bunch of times when you slow it down and watch some of that motion um, coaches give it different names but one of the names that i like is they call it hide motion so you'll get a guy crossing right in front of the running back qb mesh as they're making that mesh so it just adds another layer of deception uh that guy's coming in motion anyway but the timing of it and that's something that i actually charted when i was charting run game is when was the ball snapped uh, in conjunction with these various motions, right? Where was the motion guy at when the ball was snapped? And they would use this hide motion pretty regularly because already you've got the deception of Lamar putting the ball into the running back's belly, and you don't know if he's going to leave it in there or pull it out. But now you've got a body obscuring that view as well. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute, what happened? And you got to kind of reacquire it after that guy moves, right?
5: When it was Ricard or Boyle, and I'm going to use those as the two primary examples because they were they were the most common run motion players. You also did have Snead and and some other people doing it, but we're going to use Ricard and Boyle as examples. They would often be signaled by Lamar to start their motion at a point where the snap is going to come, which by the way probably puts the Ravens at a slight disadvantage in terms of not drawing offsides penalties the way they should, except that the Ravens also use some double motion where they'll allow that that tight end to completely cross the formation. And on some plays they won't snap it, maybe get it, maybe get a, a offside penalty, and then they'll reverse him and bring him back to the other side where that point usually a snap is in front of the of the crossing player and just before he comes out. So the quarterback and the center need to be very aware of timing that well, uh, so that they're not hit. Andrews was hit once uh, in motion, I recall this year. But, but anyway, the, the, the point I'm making here is that is that uh, you know they're 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 trying to get a double team, but they're also maybe trying to manipulate that defense in other ways uh, with that motion.
1: Yeah, and it just feeds into that point where you first started with Greg Roman and how much can you add to can you know continuously sort of keep the defense off guard. So you can do it with play design, you can do it with formation, you can do it with motion and shifts. Um, they've got enough elements that I think they can combine in enough different ways to continue, even going into 2020, mm-hmm. which again, I think they'll add even more because you know the thing about NFL playbooks, for those of us who are on the outside, we don't really know how much of the playbook they use in a given season, right? How many concepts that for whatever reason, maybe it just didn't look right the way, or it didn't look the way they wanted to look in practice, or they had some other reasons why they didn't use it. Maybe it was about personnel. We don't know, right? So there's the things that we just talked about and just the possibility that there are other parts of the playbook, like classic example, Greg Roman said all this QB run game stuff, it's always in his playbook. But he says, you know, there's certain places where maybe we don't have the quarterback where we can run as much of. So it's, it's always there. It's just, it depends on personnel. So yeah, I, I think we'll be fine um, on, on that front. I know there's a big concern about adjusting and people sort of figuring it out. Obviously, that happened last year with the Chargers in the playoffs, and then this year with the Tennessee Titans. That narrative is always going to come up anytime you lose a game, right? Happens any, every, every time.
5: Well, the, the, I think an important point here is that if you have options that go both ways, if if he if he can run or hand off truly, if he can... Uh, run or pass on some plays truly you'll always have the jackson factor will always lean very heavily to weaken and and um, uh, what's the word make defenses thin at certain points on the field where they can be attacked
1: yeah they can't be right you know that that's the thing about giving the quarterback the final opportunity to decide what to do on a play you make them wrong. No matter what they choose right because he's reading what they do and then taking the other course of action based on what they do so i like option football i've always loved option football anybody who follows me on twitter knows that and people think it's kind of like an old school thing but i'm like look just think about the passing game fundamentally and how it evolved right when somebody drops back to pass and they're going through a progression they're choosing an option of which player to throw to. You're going to play to this player or I'm going to play, I'm going to throw to that player. And it's typically based on defensive positioning, right? So this whole thing about the option being old and outdated and only applies to the run game, I just don't see it that way. But that's a whole nother story. We At some point we're, we probably need to talk about the passing
5: game. <laughs> yes. So I, what I will encourage people to do is we probably spent 30% of the last episode talking about Jackson's amazing readability uh, uh, most commonly on the, on that read option play but just the, the fact that he's effectively like a young ali in terms of his ability to read opponents leverage and use that to his advantage it's uh, we don't think you know both of us have agreed we he's not the fastest player in the nfl by a, by a wide margin but he's he's so good at reading leverage he makes people miss like crazy and and if you, if you want to hear about that, please do go back and listen to the other episode as well. Uh, but we're going to talk about the passing game tonight, just like Michael said. So uh, let's go there. And why don't we do this, Michael? Let's go one point at a time about things you saw from Lamar Jackson that you really liked this year. And we'll just kind of each pick one and go back and forth that way.
1: All right. Sounds good. I guess I'll I'll start us out. Um, and I guess this is probably one of the, the big changes that we saw from 2018 to 2019 was just... How much he improved his throwing mechanics, right? And I'm I'm no QB coach or or anything like that, so I mean I don't I don't want to you know get bogged down in in too much technical stuff. But I think one thing that a lot of people noticed uh, in 2018, even going back to Louisville, was his base, right? His feet, mm-hmm. how narrow sort of or how close together his feet would be when he would throw at times. And sometimes when you narrow your feet like that and you don't have that. It doesn't have to be super wide, but at least sort of a shoulder length base, the ball can have a tendency to sail on you, right? you're You're not actually driving the ball. You're not actually getting through to that opposite hip. in his case, his left hip, right? Where you're really driving the ball and you can you can sail a lot of balls. and And I think a lot of his inaccuracy issues were really tied to throwing mechanics. I don't think he's a guy who, has a, a real bad tendency to not see open players, right? And just miss throws because he doesn't see people or because the defense fools him. I mean, it happens from time to time, but I think a lot of it was throwing mechanics and those got a lot better. They weren't perfect. Uh, he's acknowledged and his, his QB coach, not just James Urban, but even Joshua Harris, kind of his offseason season QB coach, has acknowledged that when he gets excited, right? When he sees big plays there to be had, he speeds up and when he speed he's so anxious so eager to make that throw make that play when he speeds up his mechanics break down and so i think we saw a little bit of that in the kc game you know just the just the, the anxiousness the desire to want to make plays uh speeds him up at times and those mechanics break down when that happens but by and large i think you know anybody even even somebody who's not a a big lamar fan would say that he he made tremendous strides in that area
5: yeah it's definitely a case where um he's a player who under pressure, I think that can happen, but the wide base that you mentioned at the beginning of this, and there's several points here I kind of need to react to, so we'll, I'll try and make just one point at a time here, but uh, the wide base is, is often talked about not in terms of the drop back time, because you have to allow for some feet close together while you're, while you're initially dropping back, but as you're moving around, you basically almost want to not click your heels. Is the way they talk about it so you get a narrow point there where you can't get that throw off and do it well that's often something you'll hear about people really analyzing qb mechanics on youtube and whatnot that's something that's something to look for i think jackson was better at that i also think jackson does some things athletically that just there's very few other people can can think about i'm going back to one play in particular was the touchdown to andrews near the end of the half in the cleveland game in week 16. okay off balance in the pressured in the pocket, Andrews has a has a man directly in front of him, and and Jackson still found the exact spot up high to go to Andrews, where he was the only one who's going to get it. And actually, it was a, it was just a very easy catch as it turned out. And and it was one of those things where he's he basically is just hopping around in the middle of the pocket, dangerous throw. You know, potentially could have come up short or could have sailed it either way, but. Uh, which wouldn't have been the dangerous side, but, but anyway, would have negated the touchdown. And, uh, you know, some of those plays, it's like you hear about Marshall Yanda on the offensive line. You can't exactly copy what he can do because he can do things nobody else can do. So just, you know, you got to stick with your fundamentals and then try and watch what Marshall is doing well fundamentally. And I think the same is Joe Jackson. There's just some things he can do that no other quarterback can.
1: Yeah, yeah. We heard uh, even Bill Belichick talk about that leading into the Patriots game where he said, look, you don't have a guy on your team who can simulate what he does, you know, on your practice squad. You just, you, just, you don't have anybody to do that. You can try to prepare for concepts and certain things that you think he's going to do, but when you're in the game and he's got the ball in his hand, you can't prepare for a lot of that stuff.
3: All
5: right, I'll I'll make a point uh, a second. I think that that his pocket awareness is simply outstanding. Uh, in terms of, yeah, you know, they talk about the blind side. I feel like. He's almost got eyes in the back of his head with regard to when he's getting backside pressure. It's not that often because Stanley has responsibility for that. Stanley is good, and Stanley's also very good at even when he's giving up a pressure, he does it usually with his body between himself and the quarterback. So it's often not a he's beaten around the edge for a, a strip possibility. It's oftentimes he's being pushed into Lamar, which can cause other problems, but but usually it doesn't end up with sack fumbles directly. That, that, I think, was so special. And I, I mentioned this in the first episode, but I'm going to do it again. Um, if you take the sacks, he was sacked, I think it was 23 times for 105 on the season. That's not terrible, by the way. It's four and a half yards per sack, which is low. But then when you add to that his scrambles and you get to 4.6 yards per carry, when you define carries as the sacks, plus the scrambles only think about that for a minute 4.6 yards per carry effectively when he's trapped or forced from the pocket Uh, that's an outrageously good number most quarterbacks obviously would have a significant negative number that very few would have scramble yards that are as as high as sack yards and jackson's far exceeds it it's just it was something about the season that was just remarkable
1: yeah i remember that from the last episode and even hearing it again, even though I heard it the first time, hearing it again now, it just it just it defies comprehension. Uh <laughs> because like you said, the first thing that comes to mind when you think about that situation for quarterbacks is like, hey, that's gonna be a negative number. And for it not only to to not be, I'm gonna use a double negative, for it not not to be a negative number, but to be a positive number and at four point six, which like I think we mentioned during the run game episode is Probably better than what most running backs. Probably better oh, than what most teams' yeah. average in the running game. <laughs> you know, on, on desired run plays, it's just it's just ridiculous.
5: All right, your turn, Michael.
1: Okay, um this is kind of related to um that play, and I think that that play that you mentioned to to Andrews in in Week Sixteen versus Cleveland was a great example of it. And we talked about this in the run game too. So. Lamar's ability to read the leverage of opposing players, I think that extends to the passing game. Um, I remember seeing something, uh, as a discussion on Twitter about quarterbacks and young quarterbacks and, you know, kind of how they develop and progress. And somebody made the point that, you know, isn't it maybe just as important, maybe more important, for a quarterback who can read the leverage of coverage defenders mm-hmm. uh and make decisions with you know in terms of ball placement and accuracy and, and and you know trajectory and when to make throws based on that uh as it is to understand defenses right his thing was like look when young guys come into the league I mean, to be fair, they're they're not going to to be able to recognize every single coverage and every single pressure that they see because a lot of it they're seeing for the first time. These things are complex and you just don't see them as much in college. But if you have a guy who can literally just read body position and leverage, he's looking at a receiver and you know and and a coverage defender, and based on that coverage defender's leverage knows where to place the ball or or before that, even knows whether to to target that receiver or not or whether he needs to get off of that and look for somebody else. And I think you see that a lot with Lamar. I'm not certainly questioning his ability to read defenses because I think he does that well. I think you can see many examples of where he, you know, kind of gets a feel for, for what he sees post snap and then, you know, starts his read on one side of the field based on that and then works through progressions. I think he does all of that well, but I think, that innate ability to just read leverage of people, of bodies, yes. extends to the passing game. And, and you see it all the time with where he places some of these throws, particularly to Andrews, right? Yeah. You see him put these throws to him in places where only Andrews can get it.
5: Yeah, I've, I've got a specific example of that because Dan Orlovsky did a really nice video on the touchdown to Snead against the Rams in, on 11 I don't remember what week it was. But in any case, they lined up five wide, so Jackson's alone in the in an empty backfield, and he uh, he read the leverage of the defenders lost line across the across from each of the five receivers, and Sneed's guy was just maybe a step off to the left from Jackson's perspective of where he should have been. And he used that immediately. Now, it probably was a combination of the route he expected Snead to run. May have even been what he expected Snead to do with the opponent leverage that was shown. But the point that Orlovsky made, and it's very true, is you ascribe that ability to read the defense that quickly, along with knowing the routes that each of those five guys are, are slated to run, to very senior quarterbacks in the league. I mean, that's Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Those are the guys who understand that and pick it up right at the line of scrimmage. You don't expect your 22-year-old superstar, you know, young superstar, to to have that be a strong point of his game. But you know, to pick it up on that play was just absolutely remarkable. He hit Sneed right in stride. It was an undefensed, you know, touchdown. To that, uh, uh, that was really just a thing of beauty. And and you know, it was a long game and a long streak, frankly, that they were going through of of not being stopped with the football. So it's just like one more, but you really got to look at each one of these and say, why are they succeeding?
1: Yeah. And I I remember that breakdown. I remember that play. And yeah, to your point, I mean, he's, he's advanced beyond his years, I think in, in, in that part of the game. And that's why, you know, when the combine is, is about to come up and, and that's why when you, um, hear about i can't remember the name of it but it's it's basically like an an aptitude test that they give i don't remember what it's called anymore but they give it every year and it's supposed to be a kind of thing where the results are are private right only the teams and the players know the results but something always gets leaked particularly if it's a low score right they get leaked every year you take the
5: intelligence test that goes to 50.
1: yes yeah i can't remember what they call it um but that gets leaked every year right particularly when they're low scores and i think that happened with lamar i think lamar's score got leaked And, you know, there was a lot of talk about, oh, see, look at that. Look how low that score is. I told you he's not smart. And you've got to separate. And I'm just not even going to talk about that. I don't know the guy personally. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make any comment on his intelligence. But we're talking about football intelligence, right? We're talking about on field football, being able to process things. And a lot of what, at least in my opinion, what lends itself to really sort of high football intelligence is that speed, that processing time. How quickly can you process it? Not only can you understand the information that you're presented with, but how quickly can you process it, make a decision and make the correct decision? And I think he's pretty advanced uh, in, in, in that particular area for a guy at his age and for a guy who, you know, if you if you look back throughout his his young football playing career high school and, and and even in louisville and then now up to the ravens he's been asked to run probably more than a lot of quarterbacks that you see now who not that they don't run but when you look at the whole 7 on 7 and and the, you know the the proliferation of the spread passing game qbs are throwing and throwing a lot more at a much younger age right but he's probably a guy that's always probably had to balance a little bit more of running and probably more you know running than throwing but he still has this advanced sort of understanding of the passing game for a guy who maybe hasn't had as many opportunities to pass as, say, you know, a Baker Mayfield or, you know, name name, whatever, you know, other young QB who kind of came up in the same seven on seven spread game culture, especially those guys coming out of Texas. They just throw the ball all over the place. So mm-hmm. um, I think that that that's really a, a an underrated thing about Lamar's game is if you just put all of that in context and say, wow, you know, he's he's doing this. Um, maybe coming from a situation where he hasn't had as many reps as those other guys have.
5: right. I mean, I, I, I football intelligence extremely important, and we've seen players with it. I mean, the wonderlick test, I think is what you're talking about yes. with the, if if the thing. but but the the football intelligence, Ray was a very low wonderlick score, but he extreme work ethic, very similar to Lamar, extreme film study voracious film study, I'd even call it, you know, always trying to bring other players into that with him. Uh, those are things that made him really successful. Suggs, I, you know, I have no idea how smart Suggs is a human being. He's very, very funny. So I wouldn't doubt he's, he's, you know, above average intelligence for a football player. But he's he's got an unbelievable football IQ. He's got just an unbelievable football IQ. He has all kinds of ability to read individual tells that give away the screen pass, that, that tell him what he needs to do in the run game very quickly to make the best of his one body that may be facing two on that side. Uh, he's just, he's a, just a remarkable football. Player. So it's not like the first guy who, who we've seen in Baltimore with this, uh, uh, you know, trait that, 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 that he, that he has a much higher football IQ probably than his, than his, you know, however he might rate to the rest of the world.
1: No, and I, I love the way wink, um, Described Suggs, he said he was a football savant. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and ironically, he says the same thing about Marcus Peters, which you don't hear that about a lot of corners. Um, so it's pretty interesting. But with that's that's a conversation for another day.
5: Yeah, Peters is a puppeteer. I just love him. Uh, okay, so I think we t- we talked about leverage here. Let's move on. I'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk actually about the use of arm angles because I think that's something, I know we have both have thoughts on this, but but it makes him a little bit weather dependent. It also kind of reduces the amount of field he can use on such plays. But he, he definitely, he can come in three quarters, he can come in from the side, he can deliver a ball around a defender very effectively, and he seems to have a good sense of how to do it. But that, it does create, create problems and his receivers need to be very good at playing defense and offense as soon as that ball's in the air when that when he's using a different arm angle
1: yeah I think it's it's fair to say that the accuracy takes a dip uh when he has to sort of change up those arm angles I think we saw it dip more in 2018 I don't think it dip as 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 significantly in 2019 as it did in 2018 but it's just one of those things that is such an innate thing to to quarterback play. You know, they obviously have different arms, right? Pat Mahomes, one of the strongest arms in the league, right? He mm-hmm. can make throws from from any platform, from any part, any place on the field. But similarly, they will change that arm angle when they need to, when it's to get the ball into a certain window, and maybe that means that it's something that's happening in front of them you know, in, in terms of pressure and, and having to get the ball around a player. I mean, you, we've seen that with Lamar, where there's a guy sort of rushing him and he's literally throwing it around him, um, almost like a sinker ball pitcher. Obviously, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm not a baseball fan, but just <laughs> but right. just I can picture kind of that arm angle, right, to get that ball around that player or sometimes even down the field, um, you know, because, of where the coverage defender is, I kind of can picture a play from the Patriots game. I think where he kind of had to do that around one of the, I don't know if it was an inside linebacker or one of the underneath coverage guys where he kind of had to almost flick it around that guy uh, and lead the receiver, whoever it was at that time. So it's just an innate thing. It can get you in trouble at times, but if you can do it and it comes naturally to you, it's going to allow you to complete some passes that maybe other QBs can't.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And there's two points I'd make about that. The first is with Flacco, he got a lot of balls batted at the line of scrimmage, despite being an extremely tall quarterback who also threw the ball hard and could release the ball with reasonable rapidity. He wasn't a, a super long, you know, Philip Rivers type uh, wind up and throw <laughs> quarterback. He's, he, he was a fairly quick release guy who had a very strong and good arm talent, but he got a lot of balls blocked because he was throwing from a stationary position. And Jackson, uh, part of what makes his arm angles useful is his ability also to move around in the pocket and find the edge of that defender to then also use his arm to extend that edge a little further to make the throw. The other point I wanted to make was about the the sinker ball pitcher thing, because this goes back to my point on weather, is that when weather when weather hits, and particularly the thing that's going to plague Jackson, I think, throughout his career is going to be games with high wind are going to be a problem. So that that, that the Tennessee playoff game was one. If you're live in Buffalo, you probably call that no wind at all. I went to the game and I was actually concerned every single play and kick about can the Ravens, you know, get the snap done at a time where they might have an opt- optimal time to make a play happen. But the first the first uh, interception that went uh, sailed over Andrews' head and off off his hands was definitely wind aided in terms of of being and that changed how Jackson threw the rest of that game. If you look at it, many fewer um, of the odd arm angles that might have helped him and much more of the 12 to 6 motion, which is what I actually associate with being a single pr- sinker ball pitcher. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Stanley was a pitcher for the Red Sox in the 80s who threw a very heavy sinker, and he came very much over the top to do it. And, and if, when he only has that one arm angle, it just it takes away something from the entire arsenal for Lamar, and particularly being, you know, somewhat shorter than some of the other quarterbacks in the game, it's, it's suboptimal. To be in that position, so I am concerned that weather will impact Lamar as we move forward. Yes,
1: yeah, so, oh my, I think we've seen that in his first two seasons, in, in in various situations. When probably being the most significant, rain has kind of shown up too. And uh, all credit to Tennessee. I'm not taking anything away from them. I mean, they 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 played a better game and they executed more. Um, but you know, I, I'm probably not alone in in this as a Ravens fan is is almost this year thinking like mother nature was basically the only thing that could stop them or slow them down
4: Yes.
5: No, could completely agree. And, And if you look at the games where they did get slowed down a little bit, in Seattle they scored two defensive touchdowns, so they only scored 16 points. You know, they only scored 20 points against the 49ers. Of course, that was on only eight possessions, so that two and a half points per possession is only slightly greater than the 99 Rams. You know, but if you look at the game, the Buffalo game was a game where they, they punted a number of times after not really having punted much the entire season, that was a, a high wind game. Um, and they had rain against Pittsburgh that didn't affect Lamar, but uh, uh, but Robert Griffin was in there. And they, I think I want to say they had one other rain game earlier in the season. I'm trying to remember when it was. But anyway, as a fan going to games, I can tell you it's one of the worst years for weather you'll ever have.
1: so we need some weather luck in 2020 to help us out there okay i guess i'm up next so we've talked about a couple of different things here um i guess this isn't necessarily about lamar in terms of you know what he's doing uh as a passer per se but it's about how defenses have to approach rushing him right so i think you you could you could approach it Probably in a couple different ways, but I, I think about it in sort of two big bucket categories, right? So the first category is we could basically throw caution to the wind and say, look, we're going to come after this guy, right? It's going to blitz this guy. We're going to send heat. We're going to force him to make a decision. Uh, that seems probably like, you know, maybe not the best of the two options because of what Lamar can do. Uh You know, scrambling and getting out of the pocket. And it's not just turning into a runner, but we saw in 2019 that he can get outside and still keep his eyes downfield and still find receivers down the field and make plays that way. The other thing you can do is kind of sit back and play coverage, play some form of zone coverage and have your guys mush rush, right? Where they're not coming up the field with their hair on fire, just, you know, trying to get after the quarterback. They're rushing, but it's almost like a, you see this with with linebackers or safeties who are off the ball playing a QB spy technique, right? Where they're kind of there and they're just kind of watching the QB and waiting for him to make a move before they make their move. And you almost see that a little bit with, um, defensive lines when when they take that second approach to rush him where all right we're gonna come up the field, we're gonna engage the offensive lineman, but then we're kind of just gonna hold our position. We're not gonna That's try to make gappy. a move. Yeah, exactly. We're not gonna try to make a move inside or outside. Not not a drastic one because we don't want to lose the integrity of our rush lanes because this guy's too dangerous, right? But that gives him more time. You know, as a passer, that gives him more time to find to find targets down the field. And yes, you're in zone coverage and and maybe you've got seven guys back in some cases, maybe even eight. But in the NFL, and you could probably apply this to almost any quarterback in the NFL, if you give them enough time, they're going to find an open receiver. Uh, And if you do that to the higher level quarterbacks, they're just going to pick you apart going up and down the field. We've seen it, you know, time and time again with the real high level guys. They'll just nickel and dime you all down the field if you try to play that way. Um, So he has this ability to impact defenses schematically, right? Even even in terms of coverage, like how much man coverage do you want to play against Lamar, right? You want to have all your guys in coverage turn their back to the line of scrimmage. And then this guy gets out on a scramble and, you know, he, he rips off a 10, 15, 20, 30 yard run. Um, so he has that ability to influence coverages and and, and defenses schematically um, with, you know, not just in the run game, but in the pass game as well.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we saw from the Ravens defensively this year, the other side of that coin and particularly in the Houston games, so you had another young quarterback, another young quarterback who has plenty of ability to run into Sean, and obviously has ability to pass. But the difference between the two that really showed up in that game was that Deshaun Watson does not keep his eyes downfield if there's a little bit of color in his face. So if he's seeing the opponent jerseys, uh, then he's he's bothered by that. And even if it's a Star Wars trash compactor uh, pocket, as I talk about, you know, a slowly compressing pocket where, where the pressure is not imminent, Jackson oh, – sorry – um, uh, Deshaun Watson feels the the necessity to move around in that pocket and loses his eyes down the field in so doing and I just did not notice that with Jackson. Jackson has first of all he has tremendous confidence in Stanley behind him to be between the the uh the defender and him. So he he might get pushed from behind but he's not going to get going to get slammed from behind. And so just that alone automatically means he can kind of keep his eyes on the on the people he needs to see, including the receivers and out of the corner of his eyes, the, the other pass rushers around him. Uh, big advantage and a big difference, very advanced again for a young quarterback to be able to to not easily uh, moving, move his eyes off downfield. And by the way, I think that was a huge advancement, huge move forward in 2019. I think he was looking to run more in 2018, and I think he had more of that from the pocket. Was just deciding who's going to run earlier and taking his eyes off the field.
1: Yeah, I, and I was happy to see it, and, and I hope we see it take in, uh, you know, yet another step in 2020. Because to me, that's like leveling up, right? That's that's the next level of development for him. When you look at other mobile guys who still keep keep themselves alive as passers, whether that's Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, you know, that level guy where you can unlock so much big play potential when you do that, because you can invite uh, the defense to lose their focus, right? Obviously, the guys who are closer to the line of scrimmage are going to have their eyes on the QB once he breaks the pocket and he starts to scramble. But you can also have downfield coverage guys because, you know, players just have this innate clock in their head about how long a play is supposed to last and when something is supposed to happen on a play, right? Particularly a pass play, the ball should be out. They've done it enough times. They just have a feel for it. And so when it's taking longer than that, You're going to start looking right even though you're let's say you're in man coverage and you're supposed to have your 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 eyes focused and locked on your guy when that clock gets further than where it's supposed to be in your head you're going to start looking back at the pocket all right what's going on and that's all it takes right and then you lose phase you get out of phase with the guy that you're guarding he breaks open and we've seen russell wilson and aaron Rodgers make big time plays in those situations i mean russell wilson people would say that's 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 like a a almost a core part of his offense, right? is, is kind of those off-schedule off, off schedule plays. <laughs> so I think you don't want to make a living doing that, per se, um, because, you know, you have to have some stability in your offense in terms of timing and, and execution. Um, but when those the opportunities... The icing on the cake. Absolutely. When those opportunities present themselves, you want to be able to do it. And if you're doing what you described in Deshaun Watson, you're not going to have as many opportunities to do that when you're dropping your eyes.
5: Right, and and that that's the thing with Lamar. I mean, inside the pocket, outside the pocket, um, this, this ties into my next point. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with this with this one one more time here. Is that 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 ability to extend plays is what creates a lot of big plays. And and you're you've mentioned this already, but but think of it as those extra three points of completion percentage maybe you get from what would have been throwaways a year ago and now turned into some kind of extended plays. Those are big plays, typically. They're not typically four-yard passes. They're typically someone hit in the middle of the field where Jackson is throwing opposite the rules. Um, and and when those when those completion o- completions occur, I think Jackson's been better, particularly in 2019, at not having them being traditional rules-based completions. There are some of those where he just hits a guy 10 yards down the sideline and it's the you know the, by the rule of near guy goes to the sideline He's right there. He toe taps in. He makes a catch. He goes out. But but there's more of, because Jackson wants to keep that area of the field clear, receivers head back towards the middle, and they head deep, and they create extended plays of very high value. And so we saw some of that. Some of them are off schedule, like the two in the Kansas City game, I can think of, where the receiver made a play on just a prayer ball that was thrown out. One of them was Seth Roberts, and I think yeah. the other one might have been Snead. Um, but but uh, you, know, you, you have some of that. But anyway, I think... All those extended plays, we bemoaned how Roethlisberger was able to make them for years, but their receiving core really understood that that was going to be an option with extended pockets, and they played to that. And I think the Ravens receivers, you know, need to continue to play to it in that way. And hopefully, a healthy year um, out of uh, Brown will give them the 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 centerpiece guy for that, as well as Andrews. Yep,
1: yeah, and having a group of receivers i mean you mentioned it it starts with health but having the same guys you know sort of grow and develop together with lamar working in those situations in practice and in games you know because that's that's really where it happens because like you said some of that stuff Um, is outside of the traditional scramble rules kind of situation. So some of it's just happening on the fly in games. But the more you do that, and that's why I keep going back to Russell Wilson, particularly his connection with Tyler Lockett, the more they do that in games, it almost becomes rule-based for them. right? They almost know, like, all right, this is what we're going to do in this situation, even though maybe we didn't necessarily practice it, but we've done it enough time in games that it's become sort of second nature for us.
5: Yes. So I'm I'm going to go to this spot in the middle of the field which is completely opposite the normal rule but it is our rule. Right. Yeah. But let me let me tag on to that with my next point which is which is what a great quarterback in the red zone Lamar has already become. And this is something that with traditional dropback pocket quarterbacks it's it's much harder in the red zone than it is on other places on the field because you you have a limited set of routes that are made to work and, and sometimes a limited set of receivers for them. And and you, you talk about people being great red zone receivers. You don't need great red zone receivers. If you have a great red zone quarterback and, you know, it, it, Joe, Joe Flacco. Yeah, and and I, I don't mean to single him out again, but the fade zipper, some flat routes to the outside, if you want to try and hit the fullback or maybe a tight end on a stumble route, um, you know, th- those are, those are opportunities that exist in the red zone that, that Flacco could use. But there usually had to be some form of deception with the ball, maybe play action, maybe maybe uh, you know, a pump fake to try and get a receiver free in that situation if you weren't trying to throw one of these lower percentage fade routes. With Jackson, all he has to do is move around, and he creates the throwing lanes that don't exist for these pocket passers. So, so where Flacco, even at his height, is having trouble getting the ball over the line of scrimmage near the goal line, or certainly accurately, you know, Lamar, because he moves around, creates these kind of opportunities and lanes. I look back, one of the touchdowns that I remember. There's a, there's a, a bajillion of these, but the touchdown to Boykin in the Jets game, which I believe was their first or second score, might have been their second score, um, was one that Lamar created by outflanking the defense to the right, not trying to run the ball or anything, but, but he had enough width that he could create an th- open throwing lane to Boykin in the right side of the end zone that really didn't exist. The coverage was pretty good there in terms of where a quarterback would normally be, but Lamar wasn't in the, in the, at the spot where a quarterback would normally be.
1: No, and it seems like Boykin was involved in a couple of those, right? You can go all the way back to the the, the Miami game, right? The kind of fade yes. away touchdown yes. uh, throw. And to your point, yeah, I mean, he just has, because of his, his physical gifts, but also, I think, you know, let's not shortchange, um, you know, the mental processing, right? The awareness of, I need to create more time which can also create more space yes. in a very condensed and compressed part of the field uh, to, 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 as you just described, create some opportunities for receivers that weren't there you know initially, right? When he, when he, he takes his drop and he reaches that last step in his drop and he's reading and, and, and they're not there, right? There's coverage and uh, the, the play isn't there the throw isn't there to be made, but he can move around and extend the play and not only buy time, but capture eyes capture the eyes of the defenders and again they lose that in phase relationship with with the receivers and now you're able to to you know kind of turn the play back on right kind of reignite it and almost like a new play and have an opportunity to make throws and complete passes and score touchdowns that um like you mentioned i mean we can pick any any, you know, sort of more stationary quarterback. than that have to be Joe, uh, who who just doesn't have the the ability to do that at the same level. Not that Joe can move around. He's pretty athletic for a big guy, but uh, he's not Lamar Jackson. <laughs>
5: uh, you mentioned the, the, the touchdown at Miami. I definitely wanted to make sure we hit on that. Uh, I'll, I'll go again if you don't mind here, Michael. Is that all right? Sure. sure. Okay. I think Jackson reads backs very well but he doesn't use it nearly enough. And we'll talk about maybe that in some of the areas for improvement. But the the Boykin touchdown in week one, I still contend it effectively used back-shoulder principles. Even though it was in the middle of the field, he was fading back. The reason he didn't throw that ball away and then bring the field goal team on, I think it might have been third down on the on the time, third and five maybe from the five, third and goal from the five. But he was dropping back, and he saw back of Rowe, I believe it was, and back of Fitzpatrick, I'm sure it was, Um, And then he saw the face of Boykin and that trifecta meant that Boykin was going to be the guy who could react to the ball quickly. So it's very similar to your normal back shoulder concept. And he, he threw the ball to the middle of the end zone and Boykin just went and got the football and there's nothing those defenders could do because they just were not poised to change direction at that point, given that they weren't, didn't have their eyes on Lamar at that moment. And we don't see Lamar throw a lot of hitches to the outside. Very rare. Uh, you know, that was something, it was a bread and butter play for Flacco, particularly in his early years in the league was that hitch to Mason, uh, and really making use of the back shoulder, making use of the timing that they understood very well, uh, in, in terms of, of when the ball was coming out. Uh, it's, it's, I think Jackson reads the defenders well enough to be able to do it. I I think he just maybe doesn't have the same confidence to throw outside the numbers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that's, um, I know we're maybe getting ahead of us in areas to improve. But that's that's one of the things uh, that I'm looking forward to in 2020 is that throw when executed well, when the timing is there between the quarterback and receiver, you can't defend it. Yeah, you know what I mean. If if you don't have um, a coverage player sort of dropping underneath that throw, if it's just the cornerback and the receiver, you you almost can't defend it um, when it when it's executed well. So that would just unlock another area of the field because if you can hit one or two you don't have to it doesn't have to be a ton of them if you can hit one or two of those in a game I mean three would probably be a high number but if you can hit a couple of those in a game defenses are going to adjust right based on the success that the offense has on a given player and given particular a, a given part of the field if you do it enough times they're going to adjust and as they adjust you're going to open up something else, right? If you're trying to take one thing away, you're going to weaken yourself in some other area. And that's just one of my overarching concepts uh, in terms of an area to improve for him in 2020 is he likes to attack. You hear John John Harbaugh talk about that all the time. Like, I love your mindset. You always are on the attack. You just want to attack all the time. And I certainly don't want to take any of that away from him, but you can set up that attack in different ways, right? By... Um, for example, taking those hitches that you mentioned, take those gimmies, right? When you you line up and you've got a soft corner, if you see a corner that's off 10 yards and you've got uh, Hollywood out there or Boykin out there and they just run that quick stop, you know, quick stop route, quick hitch, just take that, right? It's an access throw. It's an easy throw. Take that throw and make those cornerbacks start to come up or at least make them think that, Hey, he's going to throw that let's drive on this ball and see if we can get a pass deflection or an interception. And then you get a double move, right? Yeah. And then you attack over their head. So you're still attacking. You're just setting it up in a different way.
5: Yeah. It s- sets up the stop and go sets up the post. I mean, I it, it's, it's the bread and butter of a lot of outside receivers and it can be the, the, the big thing they do is I'm going to go hitch or I'm going to go vertical. And, and uh, you know, Either of those, if, if those are your two routes, you can get away with that for a long time in this league if you're good at selling that both ways.
1: Absolutely. Hey, so, I mean, <laughs> they talked about it a little bit. There's been other guys, too. Um, I, I guess I'd be dating myself depending on which one of these guys I use. So I was going to talk about DK Metcalf coming out of the okay. draft last year, and they talked about he had a limited route tree. And uh, But my thing was, OK, well, assuming that's even true, which I don't know if it is, but let's assume that it is. How about we just ask him to run those routes? Right. It was the same <laughs> thing with like Willie Galt going back to the old Bears day. He could run, you know, a fade and a slant. Right. Or a hitch. And it was like three routes. That was it. Fade, slant, hang, or post, you know, vertical route, hitch and a slant because he had this world class speed. But let's not ask him to, to run routes where you've got to change direction really suddenly. OK, well, that's fine. Uh, like you said, you can make a living uh, in the NFL for for quite some time if you can do those things at a really high level. And it's just a starting point. You know, even if you got a guy where you say, okay, they kind of have that limitation. Well, they have that limitation now. Maybe they'll always have it. Maybe they won't. But it's at least a starting point. And it's uh, an area of their offense. I think you see it the other way around, where some offenses start there. And that's all they have, right? And then they don't have other areas that they've developed. The Ravens actually have other areas, particularly in the middle of the field, that are already pretty well developed. They don't have that part as well developed. So, you know, it's, it's just another thing that they can unlock.
5: All right. Uh, a couple. Of, if you have if you have any more points to make on on Lamar the passer in terms of things you saw that are their overarching comments, let's do that. Otherwise, we'll go to Josh and we'll get questions ready. If there's anything from the mailbag.
1: No, I don't have anything else. We can we can take some questions.
4: How are we uh, doing, Josh? All right, doing all right. So, a lot of the mailbag questions want to know about the future and what kind of stats. I mean, it's an MVP season. So, is it even fair to expect the same numbers or more next season?
5: Yeah, that's a that's a. We, I guess we'd start to that, and then we'll transition into areas to improve. So, uh, you know, I'm going to start with just, by just saying no, it's not fair to assume Jackson will improve. And I, I I mentioned this briefly on the other show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out just a couple different ways. Jackson's 22 years old. That's a positive indicator for growth and progression no doubt about it. Jackson is a fast quarterback right now. He depends very highly on who he is in terms of speed as well as the ability to read leverage. If he dropped a couple of notches in terms of speed, that would hurt even with great great reading of leverage. It won't happen all at once, but it will happen unevenly over time. So certainly he's 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 got to maintain as much of that as possible. But I just you come back to the point that Jackson has just had one of the most extreme seasons in the history of the National Football League. Now, if he is the next singular talent, and, and I'm talking about a singular generational talent at quarterback, then it's possible he could have a better year at some point during his career. I think it's more likely than not though, we've just seen Jackson's greatest every year. Even if he improves in a number of areas, he'll be doing it just to stay even.
1: Yeah, I think you I think you nailed it. I really can't add much more to that. I mean it, it I I don't like Projecting stats anyway it's just not my thing because who who the hell knows you know I don't (laughs) I I don't know I mean I hope I hope that he has another season like this or better obviously but it's just hard to 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 quantify that with numbers in terms of predicting to me so that's why I I tend to focus more on you know let's talk about skill sets and traits and scheme and and stuff that you know maybe there's some evidence that we could say yeah it could be this or could be that but numbers it's just it's tough for me
5: yeah. And I, I would, you would agree that it's fair to just avoid terminology like he's only going to improve. Well, I think Jackson will improve in some ways as a football player. I just don't think this necessarily means the results will improve.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I try to, you've heard this phrase. I mean, I'm not, I didn't come up with it, but you know, development isn't always linear, right? Every, we want to see this trend line that's going up, right. At a, at a, at a certain angle and, and continues to go up and only goes up, but that's just not, what happens in football that's not what happens in life you know people aren't built that way right you take some steps forward you take some steps back you take some steps forward you take some steps back it's just how it goes um and i think you got to be realistic about your expectations
4: uh, with him or with, with any
5: player really all right nope i'm sorry go ahead
4: josh i was just going to move on to alex's question who says i think one of the most underappreciated aspects of lamar's game is the ability to make his o-line better what characteristics of the offensive linemen are most important to pass and run block for Lamar?
5: Okay. That's wow, that's a really long and complex question. But let's 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 I'll I'll do the run blocking component because I think that's the easier one. How about you do the pass blocking <laughs> components? <laughs> probably, we'll, we'll, each, we'll each comment on each of them. So I'll it take it. Matter. No, no.
1: It's good. I'll take it. I'm good with okay.
5: that. You want you want to start?
1: Yeah, okay. So with pass blocking. Um I think you've heard this from some of the old linemen, particularly last year, where they said, look, it obviously was a challenge uh, in terms of, of a transition from blocking for Joe and blocking for Lamar, because with Joe, you knew where Joe was going to be. You don't always know where Lamar is going to be. Right. But to the point that we made earlier, when you get that mush rush situations where defenses are like, Hey, we just want to contain him and play coverage. And we don't want to give up the big scramble player, whatever. It slows down those rushers. Which is only going to help your offensive line, right? Uh, when they don't have guys, you know, just just pinning their ears back and just flying up the field, uh, it's certainly going to help them in that way. Uh, I think also it can help them when Lamar. It it, it, it it's hard to. It, it, You would need to visualize this, but uh, and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later, but think about like an RPO, like the run-pass option kind of play, right? That can help the O-line because, again, they're going to be blocking that play as if it's a run play. As far as they know, he's handing the ball off to the running back, and it's going to be a run play. They're They're not trying to decide, should I block it like a run or block it like a pass? They block it like a run. So... Uh, they're being aggressive, they're firing off the ball, the defense thinks it's run. That can be another way that that can help the offensive line, right? Just by sort of a deception element um, in, in terms of the concept. But if we're specifically talking about the kind of um, you know player traits uh, that, that make for a good offensive line for blocking for a mobile quarterback uh, like Lamar, um, I mean, look, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that you could talk about, but you better be able to sustain a block. I'll say that uh, because there're going to be they're going to be times when it's not a must ru- it's not a mush rush per se and guys really are coming off the ball and he's you know having to buy time or moving around or doing his thing you're going to have to sustain that block longer than you would for a guy who's sitting back there and is going to get that ball out either to a receiver or just to get it away just to throw it out of bounds you're going to have to hold that block uh, a little bit longer, you know. They talk about blocking to the whistle. You're gonna have to block to that echo of the whistle uh, in yeah. some cases with a mobile guy like Lamar.
5: Okay. Well, I got, I got, I want to approach this from just the two tackles that the Ravens have because I think otherwise we could literally have a 30-minute conversation <laughs> on this topic alone. And I want to have it on the on the offensive line positional review we have. But but for this one, I'll just I, I want to give the example of the two tackles. So Stanley, very different tackle from Orlando Brown. Very quick feet. Uh, dancing bear in terms of his ability to mirror his opponent' movement rarely gets beaten to the outside or inside. Some of that is Lamar. Obviously, when when forced to pass, as they were in Tennessee, uh, Stanley had a much more difficult pressure game. Uh, I've got him with quite a few pressures given up in that in in that game alone. Uh, but he did for most of the year have the luxury of being able to keep himself between uh, the opponent and um, and uh, his uh, and Lamar. And, you know, that just meant Lamar could trust him. Lamar knew when he got pushed or jostled a little bit that he had to move, but it didn't necessarily mean the quarterback hit was coming. Anyway, really happy with 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 that, and that ability particularly is really making Lamar better, and it's also making Stanley better that, that, uh, that those aren't ending in any kind of uh, more serious pass rush event. On the other side, Orlando Brown is a different cat. He is a monolith of a man who's – weakness at the NFL level was always projected to be the speed rush or perhaps the inside move as well but but people getting around him was the bigger problem than him anchoring with his uh, against the bull rush and i think the mush rush that 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 michael talked about earlier in the show and the the desire for opponents to two gap towards the quarterback definitely plays into uh, Orlando Brown's greatest strength. So, as a pass blocker, I think that's how how he benefits. And I, I don't want to take any more time than that. It's just it's just one of these topics we could talk all freaking day about if if we really got into it in terms of how he helps the other alignment.
4: All right. But
5: it, we do want to talk about the run game though, because that's that is slightly different. And, and and the Ravens' run responsibilities go way down. And again, I'll I'll, I'll start with the tackles. Um, uh, with with Stanley, uh, you know, anytime that there was an opportunity to run the read option in his direction. There's two things going on. The first is he gets an easy block uh, to the inside to set up the defensive tackle for Bozeman. Then he usually has to move to level two or three, where his speed was particularly effective in helping Lamar make medium gains into long gains with an extra big level two or level three block. He had a lot of escapes from the pocket in particular to the left that were for long yardage. And, uh, and Stanley is remarkably ahead of a lot of those plays. On the right side, similar thing for Orlando Brown, the ease of blocking in those situations on the read option greatly simplified his game and really magnified the things he's good at. So he gets that down block on the, on the defensive tackle to set up Yonda. He, he moves up to hit a scraping linebacker. And that's really an easy couple of blocks for him at his size uh, with his length to to make effectively and support that uh, that play.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I, I he he allows you to um, have to make fewer of those high degree of difficulty blocks uh, just by nature of of some of the run concepts that they use, right? You're not having to uh, do a reach block as often. You're not having to drive a guy one on one as often. Um, and so that's going to help you overall, as a, particularly at those tackle positions as you just laid out, but overall as an offensive line, you know, if you don't have to make a ton of high degree of difficulty individual one-on-one blocks, play after play after play, uh, that's only going to help you as an offensive line.
5: Let, let me, one more question related to this, Michael. Do you have any concern about the perceived level of talent of this offensive line versus the actual level of talent? uh, uh Meaning, should the Ravens be concerned that their line really isn't as good as their scores have indicated this year, whether you're looking at PFF or my stuff, the good players all grade very highly. And is it a is it a, quite, is it a case where the, the scheme that they're asked to, to execute is so simple, or made so simple because of who Lamar is that they may, or maybe are risking or missing an opportunity to have a tr- truly dominant lineman drafted say.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a of a catch 22. I think because of the advantages that the scheme creates, you probably feel like hey, we can get away, uh, I'm trying to find a way to to phrase it where I'm not, you know, being too too hard or too down on any particular player, but we can kind of get away with maybe uh A lower degree of individual talent at certain positions along the old line. Obviously at tackle, they want talented guys, particularly at left tackle, but it almost doesn't matter. I'm not saying that because of distinction between left and right tackle, because I don't think there's much of that anymore. Um, but I think just because of the nature of uh how much they run some of those option plays to Stanley's side you you want that guy to be an athletic guy because of the types of blocks that you're asking him to make. He's he's not blocking that first down lineman. I he's moving up to level two and having to block a linebacker or even a defensive back type of body. Um so you want that guy to be athletic. But in the interior, you may feel like you can get away a little bit uh with some guys who are maybe a little, you know, less physically gifted. Um and and, and and the scheme can kind of compensate and, and, and sort of cover up from some of that. And I think what's going to be interesting, I think a lot of people are talking about the draft and talking about them improving the defensive front seven, and I think they will. But I think what they do in the draft in terms of offensive line or free agency and or free agency in terms of offensive line will tell us a little bit more about how they feel on this particular question. Do they feel like, hey, no, we need to upgrade those positions from a talent standpoint or will they say no let's just continue to find depth type of guys and roll with the guys that we have because the scheme uh can kind of compensate for some of their deficiencies
5: well they've been remarkable at finding offensive linemen in mid and late rounds and not having to quote unquote waste high round picks i mean the the picks of stanley and brown a first and a third were were the exception and not the rule yanda was a third way back when but then they got jensen and they got wagner and they got you know a whole bunch of of you know reasonable quality linemen in those middle and late rounds even Bozeman falls into that category as a 6 uh, mm-hmm. so so they have done very well in those middle and late rounds I, I it wouldn't surprise me if that's basically where they start their OL draft this year given given the other needs on the team but let's let's get back to areas of improvement and 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 I'll, again let's have you start it up and we'll we'll just go one at a time here and i want to I just want to lay out that there's a lot of areas for improvement, Lamar. We should be excited about this. Don't think of us as Lamar bashers for pointing this out. We are we're we're pointing out some things, but you'd rather have a young hitter who hits 350 and strikes out 150 times than a young hitter who hits 350 and strikes out 50 times. Because that first guy has way more room to grow.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hear this conversation all the time about uh, ceiling, right? We we ceiling versus floor. We hope that he's not anywhere near a ceiling yet, right? We wanna we want see him continue to grow and continue uh, to improve in all areas of his game, not just statistically, uh, so that what we saw last year, and to your point, maybe we're not gonna get an exact duplication of that. I mean, that would be a little unreasonable, but that sort of high level of play where you know, they're a playoff contending, championship contending team year in and year out under his tenure at quarterback. We wanna see that. Um, So uh, I'll just throw this one out real quickly, just to start us. We talked about it earlier, but just continue development uh, of those throwing mechanics and throwing fundamentals, right? He obviously made big strides in that area from 2018 to 2019, um, but I'd like to see him continue to uh, just more consistency uh, I don't know if it's again. I'm not a, a QB coach or QB expert, so I don't know if it's if it's learning anything new per se. Maybe it is. I don't know. But for me, just as a as a viewer, it's more about doing those things that you've already improved more consistently, right? Let's get it to a level where it doesn't break down when you know you get excited about making that big play or about under or, or you're in a pressure situation. Let's get it to a point where they still remain at that solid you know, the, the fundamentally sound level consistently throughout every situation that you're going to face in a game.
5: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point, and I don't feel the need to respond to that any more than what you've said already. I'm just going to move on to the next point, is that I think that he needs to develop a greater comfort for reacquiring the field after traditional play action. Now, the Ravens really run three types of play action, and really it, it boils down to two, but they run RPO fakes, ran a a couple of RPO fakes anyway (laughs) in week one against Miami, but they don't really run that very often. It's a weird situation where they were amazingly successful with two such plays in week one, and you hardly see it come up the rest of the year at all. But they ran a 47 the 47 yard touchdown to Brown, which was, I forget if it's the first or the second touchdown. I think it might've been the first, uh, was a ball went all the way into the mesh. Then it came out to Brown all fairly quickly, honestly, And Brown immediately escaped the defender and went for 47 yards. The other one was uh, a 23-yard play in that same game. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they decided to turn the spigot off on it. Very similar to what they did with the race car package on defense in 2018, where they got... Sack, interception sack and six plays, none of them for positive yardage when they, when they put the race car in and then they didn't go back to it the whole rest of the year. And I'm like, you know, what's going on here? But of course they did bring it out again next in 2019 and in force. It was a big part of what they did. And it wouldn't shock me if true go to the mesh RPOs are something they try and build on for the 2020 offense. I think it's, it would be a devastating Addition. I know it does take longer for those plays to develop. That may be a reason why they didn't really want to keep going with it. But it's it's it, it would be a devastating addition to the play-action game to go to the mesh and then come out of that throwing.
1: Yeah, you that's a that's a great way to describe it, saying they turned off the spigot because that's what it felt like. It seemed like they had, you know, some real effective stuff happening there. And then we very the only other there probably were others, but the only other one that comes to my mind was that there was one in the uh the first Pittsburgh game. Uh it was a similar kind of play where a ball goes into the mesh and it's it's Hollywood in the slot kind of running a little slant in there. And Bud Dupree is in there, and Bud Dupree is almost he, he almost jumps it. Like he he's playing so far inside of Hollywood, that there is nowhere for Hollywood to go inside. And Lamar still throws the ball, and, and I think Dupree got the, got the pass deflection or whatever, but I that's like not the only one that I can remember. But when you run the ball as much and as effectively as they do – Man, just to incorporate some more of that, and maybe it's a self-scouting situation. You know, maybe when you go back at the end of the year and you're like you look back at what you called and how it worked, and you're like, man, you know, we didn't call enough of those. I don't know why I got away from them. We didn't call enough of those. Maybe it's that. But you look at Kansas City and how much they run RPOs. I think they run more, if not the most, it pretty pretty close to the most RPOs uh in the league. And they don't run the ball anywhere nearly as effectively as the Ravens do. But um just imagine you know the possibilities with 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 more of those plays or even more you know just regular play action just more concepts that can leverage how effective you are in the run game and then release that speed down the field man i mean it's not just hollywood i mean you know boy can a little bit more of a of a a build-up speed you know kind of needs a runway to get going but again a long strider who can get down the field so let's 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 see some more of that um
5: I, I do, I, let me continue with one more thing about play action here because the Ravens really have segmented play action that's different from any other team. The traditional play action, they do some of that. They do also do forward facing fakes. And in the Ravens' case, this was not true of Flacco. These are two handed fakes, which aren't RPO fakes to, you know. In specificity, but they are RPO fakes in the sense the defense has to still be concerned about the run when Lamar has two hands on the ball, even though he doesn't go all the way to the mesh point. And, and it's really different, and it's you can't judge play action. I, I've seen all kinds of crazy play action numbers on Lamar that, that don't really reflect how I would you know bucket these plays differently. But the traditional play action plays are the ones where Lamar should be fantastic at them. And, but when he turns his back on the field he he just needs to get a better ability to reacquire that field. And that's the only, that's the only point I really wanted to make with regard to that.
3: Yeah.
1: I'd, I'd like to see some more of that too. I think back to those Kubiak that boot out, uh, play action. I, I, that's not their offense. It's not a big part of their offense, but I think he'd, he'd be so good, uh, in that offense. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's move on to one of these other areas. Um, We talked about this a little bit in the run game episode, but uh, seeing some increased responsibility for him at the line of scrimmage. Right. And so since this is the passing episode, um, let's talk about audibles. That was always a favorite topic when Joe was here. Right. Whether does he have the ability to audible? Does he not have the ability to audible? It's a crazy thing um, that, you know, it became such a topic of discussion. And there were people who literally believed like, oh, no, he's not allowed to audible. I don't know that. You know, I mean, maybe this is very limited situations where you have a very young QB or inexperienced QB or whatever. You're you're not giving them any ability to change the play or get out of a play at the line of scrimmage. But that seems extremely rare to me in the NFL. So uh, just more opportunities, I think, for him to um, uh, not not that he doesn't have the ability to do it, but to do it. That's probably the way I want to phrase it. That's probably the better way to see him look at some of those situations and say, hey, this is not a good look for us. Um, you know, whether that's what he sees in the defensive front or whether he looks at the alignment of the coverage and says, hey, I, I got a pre... And they move a guy like you talked about earlier to try to get a, uh, a coverage read. And he says, hey, I have a pretty good feeling that this is the coverage that I'm going to get and the play that we have on uh, is really going into the, the strength of that particular coverage. So let's get into something else or let's tag a route, uh, you know, so that... The route that they were going to run against a particular coverage they run something different that uh you know doesn't run into that strength. let's just have him do some more of those things at the line of scrimmage so um you know he can he can be even more effective it's hard to imagine right but so he can be even more effective than he already is
5: yeah that's this is something was on both of our lists the, the uh, ability to audible at the line of scrimmage it may be tied to how complex the playbook terminology is and it's more difficult for that but there's got to be an ability to audible to a pass and not simply to audible to calling his own number which he's plenty good at you know obviously if he's if he's going to check out of a run effectively and decide to take off and scramble or not even scramble from the pocket maybe change it to a designed run from a pass play he can do that that's not that's not going to be the problem it's the problem is changing to a different pass play is what he needs to do. The other thing he needs to do is be able to change the formation, including himself from the line of scrimmage. And I thought that showed up most in that Tennessee game on the second, fourth, and one when Tennessee put in that jumbo goal line package, defending the 18-yard line like it was the goal line. And in fact, it was. That was the ball game right then. Um, and Jackson uh, you know, had his line of scrimmage lost to the six-man alignment Tennessee threw at. It, it would be very difficult for them to win that. And then, uh, you know, he he could have put himself in a position still to make a play out of the shotgun there. And You you'd normally hate to see the shotgun, but the other team's going to play goal line defense. And there's all that field to defend. Go ahead and drop into that shotgun. We trust you. We trust you to, to run or pass Lamar. And uh, he didn't do it there, obviously. And, and that was a that was a big opportunity to audible into a different formation.
1: Yeah, that's a great example of a situation where being able to do that uh, could have turned not only that play, but maybe the rest of the game. Um, That's, that's a, that's a great example.
5: (laughs) All right. You want to go, you want to go again? Or what do you want to do here?
1: Oh yeah, sure. I'll go again. I, I, I got off of, of, of where we are. Um, We talked about this a little bit earlier um, when we talked about Andrews, but I'd like to see him sort of expand the uh, the receivers that he targets Nothing wrong with targeting Andrews at a high rate. Obviously, he's he's very good, uh, and they have a great chemistry together. Just in terms of a feel for where, uh, you know, where Andrews is going to be and how he's going to react to certain coverages and find open space. Obviously, he's very reliable in terms of his hands and catching the ball. But I think that you have other guys, whether that's Hayden Hurst, whether that's Miles Boykin. Um, you know, I think he targeted. Hollywood, um, you know, at at, at, a, at a good rate, i don't I don't have any particular you know issue with with that. I mean, obviously, Hollywood's target's are going to be different, too, because a lot of times they're going to be lower percentage kind of things when they're down the field. But we talked about some of those hitch routes and and quick slants versus off coverage or um, even some of those routes in the middle of the field with with Hayden Hurst, where, you know, he'd find open space. You know, he'd sit down in a void in a zone. But, you know, Lamar is, is obviously, you know, at this point, more comfortable with uh, Andrews and, and kind of has that better chemistry. And so that's kind of where his eyes go to first. But there are opportunities there. Uh, to target some of these other guys and kind of just distribute the ball, I guess is maybe the the best sort of way to to generalize this is to to become you know a little bit more of a of a ball distributor, right? Instead of locking on to maybe one or two guys, all QBs have their favorites. It's, it's, it's just part of playing the position. The guys you trust and you know where they're going to be and they're going to be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be, and and that's where your eyes start. But um, there's some stuff to unlock there, I think, uh, if you can kind of expand. And, and open up uh, targeting some of those other guys.
5: There are two ways to unlock that. the The first is from the receiver side, though. and and he's got to bear some of that responsibility. And uh, you know, maybe Roman as well in terms of of how he calls the plays. But Boykin has to be better at yeah. running routes to the inside of the field. And he needs he needs receiving skills. Uh, you know, I think Hurst has great hands, and maybe that is more an issue of Lamar not thinking of Hurst over Andrews first in some of those situations. Uh, but we saw, you know, when the ball was thrown to Hurst, Hurst is, it has a very good catch radius. He has excellent one-hand and two-hand skills. And Andrews, frankly, after the first two weeks of the season, had a lot of difficulty catching the ball for a tight end, under a 60% catch rate after those first two weeks when he was 16 out of 17 so it's it's something where you know and he suffered a lot with the bad weather as well andrews did it, rain gave him all kinds of fits particularly in that seattle game but but you know i just want to say that, that that responsibility goes both ways in terms of of yeah we need to find some receivers who can actually run routes to the middle of the field who, who aren't afraid to run routes to the middle of the field that's a bad way to put it but some some uh, you know Receivers are just more comfortable on the outside and not going inside.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And maybe even expands three ways, right. To the, and you hinted at it to the coaches of finding ways to get these guys into different positions, right? Maybe, maybe we align them at different places uh, throughout the formation. Maybe we have them run different kinds of routes. I mean, depending on the concept, there's, there's typically going to be a primary route and then, you know, secondary and third and on down the list. And, you know, depending on the coverage you get, you might not need to go beyond that primary read. That first guy may be open and, you know, you get to the top of your drop and you throw the ball. But who's the guy running that route? Is it consistently the same guy? Does any other guy get an opportunity to run that route? You know, so I think that even the coaching staff can do some things to to help out. But you're right. It's it's a shared responsibility, right? It's not just on Lamar. It's it's receivers, it's coaching, it's, it's everybody um, to kind of make that happen
5: right and for for Lamar's longevity it's really going to have to be the broadest possible set of playmakers getting the ball in space who can execute some of what is great about the Ravens offense is using speed in space and forcing that defense to to defend every square inch of that football field that's 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 an overstatement but the most largest possible area of that football field defended is what's going to make Lamar the best he can be
1: yep vertically vertically and horizontally as Sid Gilman would say
5: (laughs) There You go. Uh, okay, well, let me pick one off my list here. Um, all right, this is something I've noticed during the season on play action fakes, and, and it's just something that human beings. And I'm not saying this is a problem of anybody. I'm not projecting a learning disability, but Lamar seems to have an occasional problem with light and re- right and left, <laughs> light and left, right and left, based on. Offside play action fakes and busted play. So, what I'm saying is he turns the wrong way out of the pistol formation to make the initial handoff, and he's sitting there with the ball, and there's no running back coming through. Obviously, it, there's something has gone wrong with his recognition of right or left, or possibly the running back as well in that situation. And, you know, driving in a car with Maureen, or actually riding in a car usually with Maureen, and her driving, I tell her to go right, and she starts to go left, and I, I go, no, the other right. And I'm sure we've all been in that position where you just, for a moment, you kind of lose your head and you lose your left or right. And it wouldn't surprise me with all that's going on that that's, that's, that's something. But they, need, they probably need to come out with some mechanism for him to easily recognize or recall the left and right on those uh, uh, plays.
1: Yeah, one specific example that that comes to my mind was in uh, that first Pittsburgh game, right? Late in that game, as a matter of fact, maybe maybe on that la- in in overtime, actually, I think right before they were setting up for the field goal. Uh, he had that exact situation where he turned the opposite way of where Ingram was. Obviously, nobody's there, and he made the best out of it. I think he was able still to gain like a yard or two Mm because there's just an edge defender out there, or maybe it was a cornerback, I'm not sure, but there's a defender out there, and there's nobody but Lamar, and he just has to find a way to not turn that into a a huge negative play. I mean, obviously, Tucker's got a great leg, but you're trying to get him as close as possible, uh, and particularly kicking in Pittsburgh, you know, to give him a good opportunity there. So uh, that's one, but it, it happened more than one time. I can picture a couple other times mm-hmm. when it happened too. So yeah, ho- hopefully that's something that they can get cleaned up. It reminds me of something that, a uh, 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 sort of a, a a friend that we both have on Twitter, whose name is also Josh, but he goes by at Yoshi. Is it 2052? I always get yep. that wrong.
5: At Yoshi 2052. 2052. Great follow-up.
1: Right. Yeah. One of, one of his pet peeves was about them um, uh, not getting a line- Correctly about somebody now. I, I don't remember the the, the he probably uh, mentioned it to you too. Where uh, they'd get into a certain alignment, and I think it was the diamond when they would go into kind of that diamond backfield, and then the guys on the line of scrimmage they could they could almost never get right who was supposed to be up, who was supposed to be covered, who was supposed to be back off the line of scrimmage, and they'd have to call timeouts uh, because they are going to get a legal formation penalty. It used to drive him crazy. He was like, I just wish that they could figure that out and stop having to call these timeouts uh, or just not use the formation. If you're going to get yourself into that trouble all the time, just don't use it.
5: Yeah, you end up with two guys on that same side, and there's no way you can make it right because <laughs> you've got one of your linemen on the end then. Your turn.
1: All right, um, let's see. So another one for me, we talked about this a little bit earlier too, is is sort of balancing that uh, attacking mindset with um, what I call taking the gimmies. You know, there, there are going to be times when defenses are going to give you And this is the passing game specifically I'm talking about. There's going to be times where the defenses are going to give you certain kinds of throws, right? Whether it's that soft off corner who's off 10 yards on one side of the field. Uh, And typically you'll see that, um, you know, to the field side, to the widest side of the field, because it's a longer throw. And, you know, so the quarterback is going to give a little bit more space thinking, hey, I'll have time. Uh, to drive on that throw if it is a shorter throw. Or if it's a first and 10 play, you know, they might just be backing up because that's just how they play off on on, on first and 10, again, because of um, that, that sort of geographical kind of setup. And, um, you know, they don't know if it's going to be run or pass. But if that throw is there, just take it. You know, <laughs> uh, I'd just like to see them do that more often. And, and oftentimes that throw isn't outside the numbers kind of throw. And we talked about um, that maybe not being one of Lamar's most comfortable throws and got better at that in 2019. But I think it's still um, a throw that that, you know, is, is probably not high on the list of, of throws um, that he attempted throughout the course of the season. He was mostly, you know, kind of in the middle of the field. But if that's there, man, just take those because, again, the overall goal is obviously you're going to gain some yard. I mean, well, there are a couple things that could happen. Um, it's an easy completion. Right. And you get it to a guy who is going to have an opportunity to make the cornerback miss. Right. And maybe turn that short gain into a much bigger gain. So, number one, it can be an easy completion for four or five yards. Number two it could start as a four or five yard completion. You may, you make a guy miss or break a tackle and you turn it into a bigger completion. Number three, uh, let's say they do come up and tackle you. They're going to adjust if you hit that throw enough times and that guy's going to get aggressive and he's going to try to jump that route. And then you double move him and throw it over his head. So they're just, you know, a number of benefits that I think that can come out of taking those gimmies.
5: Yeah, definitely something, uh, to do more of, I, I, I'm i not sure I can really add anything to that, but uh, it does have to be a fastball because you mentioned the quick tackle. You really want to avoid the quick tackles on those outside plays. They're, they're, they're not good for the receiver's confidence, I don't think. They cause, cause incompletions uh, by knockout, uh, but but also they they re- really greatly reduce the chance for a big play because they don't really give you a chance to, to out outmaneuver that defender as easily. So it's got to be a fastball, and it's got to be – got to be caught a yard or two from the defender so he just doesn't have a very easy immediate tackle to make
1: yeah it can it can go it can go badly the other way you're right if you're if you're late even even a beat getting that ball out there and the cornerback gets a jump on it he can absolutely blow your guy up if he doesn't pick it off and take it to the house so it can yeah. it can certainly go the other way uh so if you're going to do it uh, you got to get that ball out quickly. Like you said, it's got to be accurate and, you know, it'll give your, your guy an opportunity to make a guy miss and, you know, turn, turn potentially a small plan into a big. And we see it, you know, you see it around the league. You see other offenses, uh, other quarterbacks take that throw and and their guy can kind of make that first guy miss. And Antonio Brown used to do it all the time. I mean, Roslisberger did it with the Steelers all the time. So, uh, we don't have, prime Antonio Brown on our team, but we do have Hollywood Brown. So let's, let's, let's see maybe what could happen if we, uh, you know, throw a couple of those out there to him.
5: He has, he has that same similar catch the ball coming back towards the quarterback motion that will give you an opportunity to make big plays. Yep. So, so he's, if he's comfortable doing that, then you're comfortable, you know, running a circle around that defender, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on here and I'm just gonna talk about two things that I think are very closely related uh, becoming a better field general is the first and and that's in terms of recognizing and correcting alignment issues for starts you mentioned the diamond formation earlier I should have just followed up with this at that point but you know Lamar bears some of the responsibility for this if you see there's two guys on one side of the field first of all motion one over because you often have time on the clock still to get the get the uh, alignment corrected, or you call the timeout yourself, or maybe you take a five-yard pre-snap penalty as opposed to a five-yard after the snap penalty. And by the way, that in football, I don't think it's understood just how big the difference is between those two. An illegal motion, illegal formation penalty, those things are far more costly than a false starter delay of game because they involve an option for the defense to take the play result you're much better off just not ever snapping that football or you know taking the delay a game of uh, False start, whatever you have to do to to have a pre-snap penalty as opposed to having an after after the snap penalty that, that gives the defense an option on the play. So I want to see more good field generalship and, and understanding of that thing. By the way, don't hear that talked about much. I don't think there's much difference in in, in people's grading systems. Even my offensive line grading system, just it's a fi- it's a minus three for either type of penalty, but I always, you know, make an adjustment for it in terms of, of uh, uh the adjustment to, to scoring if they are uh, non pre snap penalties, because they're much more serious, they are just much more serious.
1: Seems like an area that, as as teams are continuing to develop and expand their analytics department, yes. that just seems like something they'd look at, right? And just another another set of data points to be able to advise the coach and say, hey, when you're in these situations, take the pre snap penalty, right? Yes. Don't. <laughs> so, uh, and and maybe they're doing that. Um, you know, we I, I don't. I'm not tied into that. Obviously, I don't know anybody who works in their analytics department, but I I do, you know, sort of read and, and hear around the league that that they're well thought of, that that, you know, throughout the league, people think that they they have a pretty good analytics department. And um uh, hopefully that's that that's something I don't want to I won't go too far off on this, but that's that's something I was I was reading about recently and and they were talking about coaches and um, you know, game management, using analytics for more game management, you know, kind of situations. Obviously you can use it uh, in game for play calls and situational things and that kind of thing. But like clock management specifically Mm -hmm. was was something that they talked about when they said, Hey, that's an area that's ripe, you know, uh, to, to be able to, to provide some, some evidence-based recommendations about, you know, when you should call timeouts and not call timeouts and what you should do in certain situations, uh, certain times of the game that teams are probably doing. But I gotta imagine there's some teams that aren't doing it, or at least not doing it as as not doing it as much as maybe they could. Uh, and it just, it, I think the article I was reading was just saying it's an area that seems a little underexplored um, throughout the league.
5: Right. And, and you know what? It's not even just Lamar. It's really anybody in that backfield. You got Mark Ingram back there. He understands how offense works. He understands how the line of sure. scrimmage has to be aligned. I mean, if he sees. That 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 line is not balanced, and there's the there's going to be an after the snap penalty called that's going to reduce any you know it's going to call back automatically any big play to be a minus five anyway. Go ahead and take a pre snap false start, or just yell it to Lamar. If it might get flagged, by the way, because I don't think you're allowed to have multiple people talking on the offense. Yeah. So, but if it doesn't get flagged, Lamar has a chance to fix the alignment. If it does get flagged, you know you know okay, that's probably the same five yard penalty as it would be otherwise. You know, so I just I don't see any reason why that can't be a shared responsibility, even for more people than Lamar. I mean, your 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 back guy on special teams is always responsible for counting the number of players on your team. Make sure you don't have 12 men. I mean, this is just an additional responsibility for the tailback that it would seem that would normally fit.
1: No, it makes total sense. You know, like you said, you've got a savvy vet guy, but just have that conversation going into the week. Hey guys, when we're in this formation, Mark, if you see it, Lamar, if you see it, Willie, if you see it, whoever sees it, call the timeout, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know,
5: and you, you don't have to call time. You don't have to call timeout. Just, oh, that's false, right. just takes- false start. Yeah. False start. If you're on the outside and, and you realize, Hey, wait, there, we, there's two of us over here. We're supposed to be over there and it's too late to move. False start. I mean, yeah. No. all right. Let me me do one more closely related to that one is that I think in addition to being a a, a better alignment uh, general and, and czar of that, he needs to be a better field general in terms of running a fast no huddle. And right now we haven't really seen that from the Ravens in terms of getting the line of scrimmage very early with just a formational call as the Patriots do and then try and run your offense and call your offense at the line of scrimmage. Now the Ravens have a very high substitution based um, offensive schemes—they're often shuttling three players in per play, uh, you know, at the skill positions, and so that does not lend itself well to that. But there are times, and certainly late in games, this is true, where where they could do it. And there are times when they've got a tired defense they're facing, where it would it would be a way to lean on that defense. It doesn't mean they have to run the run the play off quickly. It just means they have to get to the line of scrimmage quickly and run their offense from there.
1: Yeah, that could make their offense even scarier than it already is, right? And when you listen to coaches talk about this, particularly defensive coaches, right, when they talk about tempo and how tempo affects them, they'll tell you that the the most difficult sort of tempo approach to to defend is somebody who changes tempo, right? They said, look, if somebody comes out in a no huddle and they're going to just run it at like warp speed for the whole game, we can adjust to that, believe it or not. We'll, we'll actually adjust to that. Uh, because once we know what it is and it's consistent, we'll we'll be able to to make some adjustments to that, right? But if you have a team that kind of jumps in and out of it and you have a hard time getting a bead on when they're going to jump into tempo, are they going to go super warp speed? Or like you say, are they just going to get up there, uh, sort of take their time and still just you know line up quickly, get to the ball quickly, uh, but then maybe take a little bit of time before they snap it. But then on the next play, they jump up at the line, they snap it right away. And then next play, maybe they don't. So they said that just causes more trouble for them because you don't know what to expect, and you can't get into a pattern or a rhythm about what to do on defense. So, man, if they could incorporate some of that into their game, it could it could really make the offense even scarier.
5: Yeah, I'd love to see it. How? I got another one there? Do you have another one?
1: I don't. I think I'm out.
5: <laughs> Let me see if I've got anything else that I really didn't get to here. Uh, I think we talked about this already, but recognize when it's better to move under center or be in the shotgun. And, and, And in short yardage, and the example we gave from the Tennessee game was probably the best one there, but it comes up much more often than just that single big play. Obviously the whole season, there's other times when it's just better to be under center as opposed to being in the shotgun, and the ability to change that on the fly would be really useful. And I know they run so much out of the pistol and they have so much of their design is directly from the pistol that they're gonna wanna be in shotgun the vast majority of the time, but there's times when you should be able to change that at the line of scrimmage, move immediately under center and try something different uh, if you just wanna throw the other team off.
1: Yeah, and they they did it a handful of times during the season. I mean, I there's probably more. There's two that I can distinctly remember. Uh, where that happened but obviously not a lot but it's just another it goes into that evolution that growth uh, of him as a field general right knowing when to do that when it would be advantageous to do that to move under center or to move from under center and move back it's another part of that match as a field general that that i hope we'll continue to see
5: all right uh, Josh, do we have anything else that would relate to like areas for improvement that, that maybe came up in the questions at all? Uh,
4: no, really with areas of improvement, I've got one mailbag question left for the end of the show.
5: Okay. I, I think we're getting there. Uh, we've talked about some of the intangibles uh, already, but did you want to talk more about those?
1: In, um, yeah, sure. I can, t- I can sure. touch on those just, just quickly. I mean, just, um, it's it's really where I start. I mean, I know we've we've kind of saved it for the end uh, of of these two episodes, but for me, with Lamar, it's, it's really where it starts. And we just we we've already touched on all of it. We've weaved it throughout both episodes. But um, you know, his football intelligence, his work ethic, humility, relatability. I mean, you could package all of that into leadership. I think from the time that he became the starter last year and i remember the press conference vividly and i remember the question vividly hey what does it feel like uh now that this is your team and he said it's not my team it's our team i don't block i don't catch the ball i don't run the ball from day one his mindset has always been and he's always been team oriented team first this isn't about me and this was before obviously he became unanimous nfl mvp but uh you know a, a Heisman winner you know a pretty decorated guy coming into the league uh didn't start right away and and that can be a little bit of a humbling experience but his mentality his approach has always been about putting the team first and about putting the spotlight on teammates i think everybody remembers uh Nick Boyle's first yes. receiving touchdown just how he, i mean he couldn't have been happier it's like it was his first touchdown right or even when he was being interviewed at the end of the season, I think he might hey, even 1000 yards. Right? Yeah. He just, he, yes. loves it. he absolutely loves to see his teammates and other guys on the team succeed. And it's a genuine, you know, it's not a phony thing. It's a genuine thing I think with him. And I think when you have that in the most important position on the team, uh you're 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 in a really good place let alone all of the stuff that we've talked about from from a physical talent standpoint and what he does on the field if you have those kinds of qualities and intangibles off the field you're in a pretty good place with your quarterback yeah
5: i mean the humility and relatability i think is the is the is the things you're pointing to directly there with the comments about ingram and the and the comments about uh, you know being happy for boyle and whatnot i think all of that is part of making him a recruitment magnet. And there are two lightning rod players in the leagues right now, him and Mahomes, in terms of every other offensive skill position player would love to play for play with them. It may be true of offensive linemen too, because hey, we've already talked about it's a lot easier to play offensive line for the Baltimore Ravens than just about any other team right now in the NFL.
1: Your PFF but, grades are going to blow up.
5: Yeah, from you. yeah, there you go. You're a <laughs> boy. You, you want to get a three-year contract with the Ravens and then get a five-year contract with somebody else, guy. Yeah, you you want to play your prove it year. Maybe in Baltimore is even a better a better way to look at that. <laughs> but, but anyway, I I agree that 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 uh, you know humility and relatability are huge. But the but the recruitment advantages the Ravens should have over these next next couple of years will just they're very exciting. And I hope the Ravens really try and leverage that. Um, you know, this is the wrong time to be bringing Des Bryant out of retirement to Baltimore. You've got much better options out there at wide receiver. So please be considered out there on Twitter. Uh, and Don't at me if you're going to include something about Des Bryant, because I'll probably react to it. And and uh, and I, I won't like myself for doing it.
1: Another area where John Harbaugh proved to be prophetic. Remember when he was he was I think he was at the coaches meeting or the, no, the owner's meeting. Last offseason. And people were asking him about that specific question about why receivers and oh, is it going to be hard to get wide receivers to come play in Baltimore because of how much you guys run the ball. Lamar's struggles and accuracy. He's like, hey, do you like getting more open than you've ever been before and catching <laughs> touchdowns? If you do, then you're going to like playing here and you're going to like playing with Lamar. And sure enough, uh, that's that's uh, kind of a lot of what we saw.
5: I mean, there's 36 touchdown passes which led the National Football League. Each had to go to some receiver. So yep. there's a lot to go around, you know.
1: Pretty dude. big selling point. Do you like getting open and catching touchdowns? <laughs> yeah,
5: there you go. Um, I, I want to go back to the to the the leadership thing as well because this is something Bill James used to say: is that the best leadership comes from the best players. And so having Lamar be a leader and having Yonda be a leader on this team that's extremely valuable. You would not want your leadership to come from a mediocre player. And honestly, if I had to point to this, one of the weaknesses of the of the of the first four weeks of the twenty nineteen season was that the Ravens leadership was not in their strongest players. They developed that council and they had Jefferson there who uh, didn't have a great year, but obviously got hurt. Was that was the main problem? They had Owasso, who was forced into that mic role, was part of that council, and I know they would all come for interviews together. They had Levine, who had been a great dime back the year before, didn't really have a problem at all with with him as a choice. And they had Judan, who of course is one of the best best players on defense. So, you know, I understand that they had they had some of that right but they had some of that wrong as well. And I think back to the early days of Camden Yards, Rick Sutcliffe was, was pitching for the Orioles, and he was a great leader who was a terrible pitcher. And it really, really showed up, and it, it did not help the Orioles that that was the case. They needed to have somebody else be the, be the leader at that time. And, and the fact that they've now got Lamar as the leader on offense and, and Yanda, the, the defense needs to follow suit with maybe it's Clark and maybe it's, it's Humphrey, who takes a different leadership role even from that corner position uh or maybe it's peters uh, and then and then i think you'll have a you'll be in a better position where the best leadership is coming for the best players
1: yeah and it, it it did grow and change over the season as you mentioned and i like the fact that it just happened organically it wasn't one of these situations where just by the nature of the position oh he's the quarterback so he's supposed to be the leader um, it was organic, you know, and you could see it and you could hear it from other players, particularly other experienced and, and veteran leaders on the team like Yanda, who said, hey, the kid just gets it, he puts his head down. He works. He's humble, you know, and you could you, we all seen it a bunch of times. Now, that Seattle game where Lamar wants to go for it. And, you know, Harbaugh's like, hey, do you want to go for it on fourth down? And Lamar says, "Yeah, hey, uh, hell yeah. okay. But he looks to Yanda. said, do yes. you want to go? And Yonda's like, hell yeah, if you want to go, let's go. <laughs> so you could tell that he just that Lamar understood that dynamic that, hey, I'm not there yet. This is the leader on the team. This is one of the leaders on the team. And even though I'm the quarterback and I'm you know supposed to be in that role, I'm growing into that role. And I, I I'm still going to defer in some situations. I want to make sure that I got buy in from the guys who have been here and have done it. Um, and I, I think that's just another uh, another example of his humility. Even in that situation, right? He didn't have to ask Beyond anything. He just be like, yeah, Coach, let's go. But he looked to him because he he has that humility that's just it's baked into it. You know, it's it's almost like a subconscious thing. He doesn't have to th- consciously think about doing it. He just does it.
5: Yeah, it's very measured. Uh, desire to get that corroboration. It may have been born of insecurity. I don't. I don't care. I really don't care what was born with. A little insecurity is probably okay in that situation. That's what humility you know, can be sometimes. Is is just a willingness to defer to not be cocksure about your own opinion in every situation. But asking Yonda there was something very special that I'll always remember about that moment. It was a. It was a very cool thing. I, I want to point out one other thing, and that's that's going back to the work ethic that he has. He made an enormous jump forward with very hard work between 2018 and 2019. He spent a lot of his offseason working very hard. I've mentioned this multiple times on this show, so people can probably all- already give me the bullet points for it. But you know, if you're a young player and you want to get better, you want to play this foot- game of football for a long time and make a lot of freaking money at it, do what he did and do what Ryan Jensen did after the 2016 season. Before he had his breakout year in 17 that earned him the big contract at Tampa Bay. And and really take the time, invest in yourself during the offseason. I know that's really hard. You want to travel. You want to do all these other things. But positional skills, very important, just as the all of the other training components are. And I don't want to tell them which is more important. But in terms of positional skills, that's where I see a lot of the real breakout seasons happening uh, uh, You know, with players who take the time to work very hard in the offseason.
1: Yeah, it's 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 very important. It became probably even more important under this current iteration of the CBA because there was such a reduction in the number of practices and how much contact that players uh, that coaches could have with players at certain points during the offseason. And you know, you hear this when you talk to to young players or you know guys who've been in the league for maybe two or three years that they're a little surprised by how little technique work you get during the season. It's so much, you know, so much of that 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 game week preparation is on scheme, right? Preparing the game plan for that particular opponent. Most of your technique and sort of fundamental development stuff happens in, you know, OTAs and training camp. Not that they don't do any during the week because they do. Uh, and, and it varies from team to team. You, I, I remember hearing Pete Carroll talk about it in, uh, in Seattle. He says, well, you know, people talked about how simple their defense was. Well, you guys just play cover three. You just do this. You just do that. And he said, well, it allows us to focus on technique and fundamentals, which in his mind was, that's how you win games, right? I don't care what your scheme is. If your techniques are solid, your fundamentals are solid. You're not going to win games. Okay. I'm good. So it, you can go either way, right? You can be very scheme heavy and do a lot of complex and fancy things, you know, uh, have this huge playbook, or you can be a little simpler and say we're just going to spend our time focusing on techniques and fundamentals, but either way, these young players said that you just don't get as much time to do that in the NFL, and the time that you really make those gains and those strides is in the offseason, in your offseason, right, not the team offseason, but your personal <laughs> offseason, mm-hmm. and you really have to commit and invest to doing that, and they said if you don't, once you get into you know the team off season, you'll get you'll get that, but it goes by so fast. You're not going to get probably as much of it as you need to take that next step and continue you know to sort of be at the top of your game, uh, unless you invest the time and commit the time to doing that in your own personal offseason time.
5: Yeah, the, the the player today who waits just for the OTAs, just for the mini camp, and just for the regular camp to try and make. All the, the strides, all the improvement he's going to do is going to be behind other players in this league. Not necessarily every player, but a lot of players who, who are really working to get better. And And those are the guys you're fighting for the money with. I mean, those are the other guys who teams could pay the money to. And you need to beat them. So work harder. You know, what's what's it? What does the T-shirt say? Yeah, nobody, nobody cares. cares. That's it. <laughs> all right. Michael, been a been a total pleasure again. Josh, we have anything else we need to need to hit before we go.
4: Well, I got a tough one for you out of the mailbag. Okay. And this might be one that, you gotta, that we got to just take as a short at some point. But uh, the past year, we've heard an awful lot about figuring out Lamar Jackson. So now after a season, what is the Lamar Jackson effect on the NFL in this copycat league? Are we going to see more defenses adjust to be able to stop this type of quarterback or more, more offenses working with mobile quarterbacks?
5: You know, I think this is this could be relatively short, depending on how much time we want to spend of it. But I, I think we will see more offenses, more teams, try and take chances on young mobile quarterbacks. I think that's a given, given how successful Lamar's going to be. I think it's also given that it won't be nearly as successful as people are hoping, because, you know, like we've talked about in both of these episodes, Lamar's ability to read leverage is at an otherworldly effort. So you can decide that you want to train a bunch of boxers that look like Muhammad Ali, but if they don't have Ali's recognition skills, they're not Ali. (laughs) So this in in, in Jackson's case in the reading, I mean, you could you can you can set up a bunch of these mobile quarterbacks. You can find faster ones and you can find other guys who can throw the ball as well. And maybe you even get a couple of guys who can do who are are faster and can throw the ball as well. And I still think they won't be as effective because they won't have that read leverage component.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a for me it's a, it's a spectrum and Lamar is on the extreme is on one extreme end of the spectrum in terms of what he can do, uh you know in in the run game and running the ball. Ken um, I, I just said it. I mean you're you're not going to be able to to do that with every mobile QB, but I think what you have seen is um, more of a shift to a QB having to be mobile. Right, you're seeing a move away from kind of that statuesque guy. Uh, whether that's Mahomes, whether that's Deshaun Watson, you know, these younger guys. Are, you don't have to be able to run like Lamar, but you can't be a stiff either, right? Mahomes is not a stiff. He doesn't run like Lamar, but he can move, right? We saw him make some big runs in the Super Bowl. So I think that's what you'll continue to see in the trend, even some of these guys that we're looking at coming out. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow from LSU. Joe Burrow's a mobile guy. Tua, when his hip is right, Probably a little less mobile than Burrow, but he can move. And I just think that's the trend that you're going to see. And then you may see offenses try to incorporate some of what the Ravens do into their offense. You may see them incorporate more option elements. It's not going to be the core of what they do, but maybe they throw in two or three option plays in a game. You know, something like that for their quarterback to pick up some easy yards. So I think you'll probably see more of that. In terms of defenses, I think you'll probably see the biggest adjustment. it's kind of a no-brainer, duh, obvious kind of thing, within the division, right? Within the AFC North, you'll see the teams in the AFC North. I think we're going to look at their drafts and look at how they approach free agency. It's going to tell you a lot about how they think they need to defend Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, the body type, the type of players, the type of skill sets that they need. I think that's going to tell you a lot about what those particular defenses think they need to be able to do to defend Lamar.
4: Great point. All right, Michael, uh, what plugs can we get out there for you?
1: I guess just uh, follow me on Twitter at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Uh, I talked about in the Run Gain episode, I'm continuing to do some defensive charting. This is kind of a personal project. Maybe it'll turn into a published article at some point. Maybe it won't. Um, but I, I still continuously try to just tweet out stuff. Um all throughout the year. Uh, Some of it will be the defensive stuff that I'm working on. Some of it will be draft stuff. Some of it will just be, you know, random stuff. So uh, you can always find me there and uh, always like engaging with people.
4: All right. right, Go ahead. I'm sorry. All right. I was just moving on that Ken uh, over on film study Baltimore. uh, The O-line charts are up and updated to show the full season now. And we've got some shorts coming out this week. Uh, talking about draft valuation and some players to watch.
5: Yeah. Positional reviews should all be out there because these these two on Lamar are the last two. Uh, so they should all be out there if you want to go back on the website. And yeah, we have some we have stuff coming up on the draft on free agency even before that. We're gonna we're gonna take a limited look at free agency. I've I've asked the the guests that are coming on just to look at a couple of different positions and and name between maybe three and eight players that might fit into the Ravens somehow, and we're going to talk through that. So we have some some interesting shows coming up with, I think, some very good guests uh, talking about free agency, and that'll be the next big thing.
4: All right, sounds good. We'll
5: 336, talk. Josh? We got, we yeah. got, we're coming up I on mean, baseball yeah, it's season. It's
4: baseball season, so check out Section 336. Uh, Matt, my brother, and I have great conversations every Monday night about the Orioles, so check out Section 336. All right, guys, we'll talk soon. <laughs>
2: Birdland Sports, for fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at
3: birdlandsports.com.